Hey there, and welcome to this episode of the Friends Indeed podcast. I'm Rabbi Joshua Levine Grader, Executive Director of Friends Indeed. Great to have you with us. So Friends Indeed is an interfaith organization, and we provide supportive services to meet uh, critical needs of our most vulnerable neighbors, homeless, at risk of homelessness, people experiencing poverty. And everything we do uh, is about connection, compassion, dignity. And we do our work uh, here in the city of Pasadena, California. So today's episode is going to uh, be discussing uh, our street outreach uh, team. We have uh, continued to expand and uh, grow our reach and our services uh, with this team. And recently, uh, I was able to hire a wonderful, uh, very... uh, experienced, talented new director uh, for the Street Outreach and Housing Program. Her name is Tish Strickland. She is an MSW, uh, Master of Social Work, and is about to be licensed as a clinical social worker. She brings a tremendous amount of knowledge uh, and experience, is able to join our team on the streets, assess mental health issues. Uh, She's a mental health expert. And uh, I was able to speak with her uh, via Zoom and to introduce her to you, our listeners, and to have a a very meaningful conversation to learn about her past and her experiences and what she sees is the role and the goals of our outreach team now uh, and going forward into the future. So uh, really great to to introduce you uh, to Tish Strickland. So Tish, thank you so much for taking some time uh, to to talk talk with me today. Um, so as the new street outreach and housing director, just want to welcome you to the FID podcast audience, and uh, you know give you a chance introduce yourself and you know share where you're coming from and and what brought you here uh, to Friends Indeed. Hi, um, thank you for having me. Um, so as you said, I'm Tish. I'm the new director of Street Outreach and Housing. Um, I've been in homeless services um, I think tw- since about 2018. Um, was at Union Station Homeless Services for quite a few years. Um, spent some time working at both of the shelters here in Pasadena, at the adult shelter and also at the family center, um, some housing navigation I was a problem-solving specialist for a while, and then most recently before this, um, I was managing um, the multidisciplinary team out in Pomona. Um, So I was really just hoping um, to move up into a different position to get more on the administrative um, side of things and a little bit less of carrying my own caseload, as well as come a little bit closer to home because I am um, a Pasadena resident. Great. So what what moves you to do this work? Why, and you know, I should say you're an MSW, about to become a LCSW, licensed clinical social worker, uh, which could be, you know, work in a lot of different fields. What, what, what why our field of, of, of homeless services and, and poverty and people experiencing life on the streets? I think I've always known um, that I wanted to do something involving helping people. 
example. Um, it took me a little bit to find my exact uh, niche. Um, when I went into undergrad, I was initially thinking that I was going to go into psychology um, and then had switched over to sociology, um, having a more interest in, in social problems. Um, I think I realized uh, my senior year of undergrad when I volunteered at a food bank that I really liked doing community-based work and being able to interact um, with the population that I serve. So I think that was kind of the trigger for me switching um, over to this. Um, and it did take me a while to decide exactly what I wanted to do with my social work degree. Um, but by the time um, it was, I was ready for my second year MSW internship, I was really leaning towards homeless services. Um, and I think that... I would probably have been called to homeless services just because even myself um, have experienced some housing stability instability when I was younger. Um, so some of my adolescents spent living out of motels. Um, so I think it's something that just happened to be near and dear to me. Um, and it's been really fulfilling and meaningful for me so far to be able to do this type of work. Great. Great. Well, I appreciate you sharing, uh, sharing some of that uh, about yourself. Um, so as we look around Pasadena, um, and as we're looking to grow our team, you know, what are you seeing or sensing uh, is a top priority, or what? What, what are some things that you think we're uh, we need to be uh, looking at in the in the coming months uh, and years as we expand our outreach team? Yeah. So um, we're fortunate that we already have quite a few people on the team who are um, really great individuals doing really good work out in the field. Um, I think as we continue to expand that it's important to have people on the team as well who have specialties. Um, we recently have um, been encountering some clients who are experiencing mental health concerns and substance use concerns. So really um, adding some folks to the team who feel really comfortable interacting with those folks and being able to connect them to services. Um, I think it's important to remember that statistically, the majority of people who are unhoused don't necessarily have severe mental health or substance use issues, um, but we are a street outreach team. And so our focus is trying to reach the people who are the most vulnerable um, and who maybe have the most difficulty accessing services on their own. So those are the folks that we're targeting. Um, so we really need some people on the team um, who can assist with that. Um, so right now, I think it's important for us to look into having a substance use specialist um, as well as a harm reduction uh, specialist on the team um, to fill those needs. Mm -hmm. So for folks who are listening uh, and have heard me talk about this and, and write about this and, and follow uh, our work, um, you know, the, the numbers uh, uh, in terms of folks on the street, uh, housed, sheltered, unsheltered, you know, we do the homeless count. Uh, it's it's pretty much been flat over the last several years in terms of the number of people uh, that are coming off the street, the number of people coming onto the street, and we seem to be ending up with the same 512, 15, 20 or so every year during that that count. Um, and and interestingly, we're also you know there's there's statistics or, you know, uh, uh, methodology that says if that's the number on that day in January when we do it, then we should probably double it uh, for the reality uh, of who's out there um, because, you know, we're not finding everyone and someone who's in a motel for one night is considered sheltered. Um, so what's your philosophy or thought about, you know, the, the goals of Will it ever, 
that number probably won't ever be zero of people on the street. But as you see your work, you know, what is a goal that you think Um, is achievable? So we have um, a lot of really good agencies doing really good work. And I know almost every year we're housing like record numbers of people. Um, So we know that we know how to house people. Um, And my understanding is that we generally do it with a very low recidivism rate, which is great news. Um, I think the problem is that the part of the work that is often ignored is addressing the systemic issues that cause people to fall into homelessness in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, So like the racial equity issues, uh, the mental health issues, the lack of affordable housing, um, the people being able, like not able to transition after they um, have been incarcerated, all of those types of things, um, domestic violence issues, we're not often addressing any of that. Um, so as much as we're housing people every year, we always see like a new set of people who are falling into homelessness. And we're going to continue to always see those, um, to see that unless we start addressing those issues as well. Um, so I think even um, advocacy within our communities um, is an important part of this work that we often forget about. Yeah. Yeah, no, those are great, great points. I, as you're the first uh, mental health specialist that we've had on, on our staff, and I'm really uh, excited about that. And I, you know, I know you're, you already have started to bring, you know, some uh, new approaches and uh, uh, growing the, the confidence of the team and, who we are uh, that that we help. Um, so as an expert in that, I'm wondering, you know, for the folks listening, they might have heard some of these terms, harm reduction or trauma-informed care or, you know, uh, uh, motivational interviewing or housing first. But really from from your professional, you know, opinion, what, what do some of those things mean? And also how could they be used by folks in an everyday capacity who are not experts? We often get asked a lot, you know, what can we do? What do we do if we see someone? Or how do we talk to to, to someone uh, in the best way? But well, can you just share a little bit about those those ideas and philosophies and how, how they work? Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess we'll start with um, housing first. So housing first really is the idea idea that everybody is housing ready as they are, um, that homelessness is first and foremost a housing issue. Um, and really the idea is if we can focus on getting people into housing, that it will be a lot easier to address the other things that they're going through. Um, so when we switched over to this approach, um, we're basically no longer putting unnecessary barriers um, on people when getting into housing. So we're not saying, you know, necessarily that you have to be in therapy, that you have to be employed um, or whatever else um, there is, because we understand that it's really difficult to expect that of people when they don't even have a stable roof over their head. Um, And that doesn't mean that we're not addressing these issues. Um, We can address those issues simultaneously as we're working towards housing, um, but we're just making it sure that those things are not prerequisites to them being in housing. Um, so that's really um, what housing first is. Um, and, that, is right. and and we've seen that to be successful, right? That yes. model was was kind of uh, was has been talked about in our work for a long time, but kind of not accepted in the general population. And then I don't know, five, seven, ten years ago, it started to be seen by government officials and and other electeds that and citizenry like that is a good idea. 
Yeah. And um, I mean, I, I think it's not without its flaws, <laughs> right? It's not perfect. Um, but I think that what we do know for sure is that the way we're doing things before that wasn't working at all because we were placing so many requirements on people that at the end of the day, we were barely able to help anybody um, because there was just too many hoops that they had to go through in order to receive services. Yeah. Yeah. So things like trauma-informed care, that seems to be a, an imp- uh, a, a phrase that we hear a lot. And I think other people in the community hear that a lot. What, what does that mean? So trauma-informed care um, is just really having an understanding um, that people have been through some things in their life. Um, and I think in our work, um, it helps to have that in the back of our minds to give people a little bit of grace um, and to understand that they may have been through things that we don't understand. Um, And sometimes our work can be frustrating um, and clients will test our patients a little bit, um, but reminding ourselves that negative behaviors are the symptom of something else, um, everything that that person has been through. And so we want to make sure um, that when we're working with people that we're um, trying to not re-traumatize them um, and trying to not trigger their trauma. Um, and also at the same time, making sure that we're not triggering our own trauma when we're working with them. Um, and so I think that's something that anybody who interacts um, with a vulnerable population should have in the back of their mind to just have um, a certain level of sensitivity um, and a certain level of understanding. Mm-hmm. So we are going to take a quick break and then come back and continue the conversation uh, with Tish. This is the Friends Indeed podcast. I'm Rabbi Joshua Levine Grader. Stay with us. So the time has arrived for our Jazz Encore event, our major fundraising opportunity for the year. It will be at the end of this month, August 23rd, 24th, and 25th. Again, virtually. We'll have some fun stuff for you that week. But we are primarily uh, really excited for our honorees. So to make sure you are aware... We are honoring Dr. Richard Chung, immediate past president of our Friends Indeed Board of Directors, the Pasadena Jewish Temple and Center, and Villa Gardens Retirement Community. And again, this year we are going to have a special volunteer recognition, and uh, this year it's for food pantry volunteers Scott and Lisa Nelson. So we hope that you will uh, become a sponsor or make a donation and be a part of our Our fundraising goal, you can get all the information on our website, friendsindeedpas.org, and uh, hope to uh, have your support and participation. So uh, check it out on the website and uh, make a donation today. All right. Thank you so much, and let's head back to the show. Terms that we use. So the idea of saying the homeless or a homeless person versus more sensitive language of unhoused, unsheltered, or people experiencing homelessness. You know, why is that important? If it is important, I think it's um, important. Well, well, yeah, um, I think it's important um, to consider using person first language um, because really, I think sometimes when we say the homeless, um, we're almost attacked matching that like it's part of that person's identity rather than something that just they're just experiencing at that moment. Um, and so I think being sensitive in our language, um, we're making sure to, um, you know, treat people like they have some humanity um, and to not stigmatize them in a way where they're just labeled as like this one with this one category. Um, so really, that's just the way um, that's, you know, good reason just to be mindful of the way that we word things. 
Mm-hmm. So people are always saying or asking, you know, what can we do? What do we do if we see someone? Or what can we offer? Uh, how do we talk to folks? And, you know, there's whenever I, I talk, uh, um, you know, I always have to emphasize, um, you know, be safe, you know, and, and when I talk to youth groups, you know, you have to make sure your your parent, you know, don't do things without your parents, you know, uh, uh, permission. But trying to, to, you know, help people to see that these are human beings. And, I, you know, I, I share uh, a lot that, you know, even if you don't have anything to, to offer someone, you just roll down the window at the stoplight or at the freeway uh, exit and even just say hi or, you know, ask them how they doing or, you know, um, just just say, you know, hang in there. It's it's are there other things that you have seen uh, that people could do or, you know, I, I, I see that that makes a difference in people's lives. Would you would you agree with that? Yeah. And I like the the phrasing that you used, um, treating people like human beings, because um, that's exactly the first thing that came to mind. Um, you know, and I have encountered it, you know, within our community that oftentimes people are afraid of people who are unhoused. Um, there's this assumption automatically, like if someone's unhoused, that they're more likely to be dangerous or violent or whatever else. And that's actually um, not the case. So there's a lot of people walking around unhoused that you, you know, wouldn't even know that they're homeless. Um, I think the ones who maybe have higher barriers are just the ones who are more, more noticeable. Um, but again, if we're going back to um, statistics, we know that if you're unhoused, you're actually more likely to be the victim of a crime than the perpetrator of a crime. Mm. Um, and that's not to say that we shouldn't have caution. I think anytime we're going to be going out and approaching somebody that we don't know, we should have you know a certain level of caution like we would with anybody. Um, but at the same time, we shouldn't be assuming that just because somebody's unhoused that they're more likely to be violent um, or they're going to you know purposely cause harm to us. Um, so really just being able to like have a conversation with someone, um, you know, talk to them like you, you know, you would anyone else, um, if it's, it's safe to do so. Um, and then I know you mentioned, um, harm reduction, um, first, I think harm reduction is also something that anybody can practice. Um, so harm reduction really is an understanding that we're sometimes going to have people who are engaging in risky behaviors, um, that are not ready to stop yet. And so if someone's engaging in uh, risky behavior, what can we do to minimize the negative impact of that behavior? Behavior. Um, so we hear it a lot as, as far as um, drug use. So, you know, in our work, we do sometimes have clients who are actively using. And if we're meeting people where they are, not everybody is ready for services yet. If they are, great, we'll connect them to services. But if not, what can we do um, to minimize the risk um, that they're going to overdose or that they're going to, you know, spread disease within the community? Um, and so, Anybody can carry harm reduction supplies. Um, anybody can, you know, be trained on how to, how to use Narcan. Um, and people who are trained to do that can train other people. It's meant to be a snowball effect. Um, so I think it's important to have tons of people all over the community who can practice harm reduction um, because at the end of the day, that saves lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's let's explore uh, to conclude here, you know, s- you and I have talked about some of the the goals, uh, or strategic goals, or, or or vision for for this this our own street outreach program. And clearly, uh, you know, people know we work in in partnership, and lots of other agencies are doing similar work. And we try not to, um, 
you know, to duplicate services, but, you know, we're trying to grow our own uh, team and, and to kind of capture the area that we feel like is our best approach, which is meeting people, which is engaging with people, which is trying to move them to the next, the next uh, uh, place uh, in their, in their journey, uh, wherever that, wherever they find themselves. So let's say a year from now, in your estimation, uh, you know, what might we have done as friends indeed, or where would you like to see that that we've gone, uh, you know, um, under your leadership, not to put any uh, pressure on you here in this conversation, <laughs> but you know, what, 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 just think big. What, what, what is it that you'd like to see if we're talking again next, next summer? Um, so I, I think part of it is just being able to serve more people. Um, so that's part of why it's so important for us to continue to grow the team team and um, to bring out, bring on new members. Um, there's safety in numbers is part of it. Um, also having specialists, we can um, reach out to a greater um, number of people with, you know, different concerns going on um, and being able to branch out into more parts of Pasadena. Um, as we continue to grow the team, um, we can overall as an agency serve a lot more people. Um, so I'm hoping that our immediate goal is to um, complete this outreach team that we have currently. Um, and I think that once we do that, we'll be able to serve about 80 to hundred people at one time, um, which I think is, is pretty significant um, and will have a good impact um, on our community. Um, I think that I like to see us also having um um, strengthening our connection um, to the rest of the CES system. Um, so the team and I have really been like joining in more of um, meetings and whatnot with our partner agencies, um, participating in, in case conferencing and collaboration. Um, the outreach team has just been added to the LA Hop um, Homeless Outreach Portal. Um, so net, we're going to be receiving um, outreach requests that way as well. Um, and so just kind of... Um, it's, we've been a small agency so far, but I think now that we're growing, um, we can more actively participate um, in the coordinated entry system. Fantastic. So, Tish, uh, now we'll really end. I know that um, you're a person of faith and um, that uh, that was one of the things that also uh, I was interested in that you combine and doing in this work. So, you know, how does that play in in your work or how does that 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 sense of faith and and your activity you know your activeness in your church community you know how does that inform uh, uh inform you uh in your work in your life yeah so um i have been a member now for quite some time of uh, troop uu that's here in pasadena um, I think it's helped me to be an active member of the Pasadena community for one. Um, and then also as being um, a Unitarian Universalist, um, we're a little bit of a unique religion um, that we are um, connected more by values as opposed to like religious ideology. Um, and surprisingly, a lot of our values are founded in social justice. Um, so, for example, like the idea that people, everybody has, you know, dignity and worth. That's literally something that's also in the social work code of ethics. Um, you know, so there's a lot of concepts that kind of overlap um, between like what my faith tradition is um, and the work that I do. Um, 
and so it, it's it's nice to be able to um, have a faith community that has you know a pretty significant social justice um, aspect to it. Um, and I have been a part of the social justice committee at my congregation as well. Um, so I, I think the two things do really play hand in hand. That's great. And just as a plug, I'm going to be at Troop uh, speaking on Sunday, August 21st. So uh, I'm really looking forward to forward to that. I love uh, your church. I love uh, uh, Reverend Tara. Um, but Tish, thank you so much for taking time and uh, continue to do the good work. And uh, looking forward for more of our community uh, to get to meet you in the coming months and years. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So that's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of the Friends Indeed podcast. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation with Tish, and I hope that you did too. So if you like what you heard and you want to learn more about the work that we do at Friends Indeed, you can visit our website, friendsindeedpas.org. We are also on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And again, uh, hopefully you'll be able to uh, support our upcoming uh, fundraiser, Jazz Encore, and you can get all that information on our website. So we are going to sign off for today. Stay safe. Stay well. Thank you so much for all your support. And uh, if you like this podcast, please do share it with family and friends and like us on our social media. And we will see you next time. I'm Rabbi Joshua Levine Grader. Thanks for being here.